Here's your offer. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. That was a joke. <laughs> well, it's good to be with you this morning. Such a blessing and an honor for us to be here. Uh, we're, we're, we're excited to be here. We'll be here for the next uh, week and a half or so, and uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity. I uh, love coming back down here, as my wife refers it to. Is uh, This is a family reunion with, for us. Uh, we love coming back in fellowship, and we are family. We're fam with the family of God. And uh, we love your pastor and his dear family, and many of you here. Uh, and it's just good to be back. Now, uh, we did, uh, my wife Claudette is here. Uh, she doesn't travel with me all the time, but 99% of the time she does. And uh, I was just in Virginia a little bit ago and traveled my by myself. And I tell you, it gets lonely out there. And uh, I love it when my wife comes with me. And, and so we come down from uh, Montana. We were up in Montana and we drove down. And we picked up a passenger on the way, uh, a, a little Evie. She's in, in children's church now. And she's our four-year-old granddaughter. And I tell you, it's been a blessing. But I tell you, on that 1,600-mile trip or so, uh, I kept hearing children's songs. And they are stuck in my head. Children's Christian songs. I'm telling you, it's a, it, and it's a blessing. It really is. But when you hear that over several hours in the car, and when you leave the car, it just kind of hangs with you. And so I hadn't got it, got it out of my head just yet, but it's been a blessing. It really has. And we're excited uh, to be here. And, and I will do this. Um, I certainly appreciate your prayers uh, and your financial support. What a blessing it is. And uh, I certainly appreciate you who are here and, and uh, many of you we know and love you. And so uh, I will give a little bit, if you're okay, Pastor Matthew, a little bit of update tonight and uh, the next time I'm here on the 12th. Uh, as far as our ministry goes, I want to get into the Word this morning and certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here on this July 2nd as our Independence Day uh, comes up here in a couple of days. Uh, such an honor. So if you would, turn your Bibles this morning to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. And the Lord has led us this way uh, this morning, and uh, I want to preach on a thought that God has led us to out of this wonderful psalm. We don't know exactly when it was written. There's some discussion of when, but I tell you, uh, nevertheless, when it was written, it definitely applies to not only back then, but to us today. And, and I want to bring some thoughts out of this psalm that we can apply to us that not only do we hear it this morning in service, but we take it with us as we leave this place. And we, we uh, go out into this world and we tell others about the Lord Jesus. That's what matters. That's uh, what we are to do. And I tell you, as, I, as we travel all across this country, uh, we can tell the churches that God blesses. And I'm not trying to categorize different churches, but those are the churches that people are missionary-minded. You think about that, that's at God's heart. That's what God's heart is, is to get His Word out there so he can, people will get saved. And, and people that go out at churches and minister in different places, God really blesses that. There, there's churches that I'm in that 
really nobody goes. And, and uh, you can tell the churches that are, are missions-minded are, are worried about looking at people's souls because when you look at somebody, it's really about their soul, where they're going because when they die, they're going one place or the other, heaven or hell. There's no in-between. There's no choice. Uh, well, you have a choice to accept the Lord Jesus, but there's, there's not a choice. After you die, there's one or two places you'll go. And what you do with the Lord Jesus today in this world determines what happens in the next. If you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, you'll be with Him in eternity forever. And if you don't, you'll be separated from Him in forever in a place called hell. And I tell you, that's God's heart. And so it's a blessing. So when you find your place there in Psalm 85, if you're able and willing, would you please stand with me for the reading and out of reverence to God's Word. We're going to read the first seven verses and we'll get right into the message. The Bible says in Psalm 85 and verse 1, Lord, thou hast been favorable into thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again? that thy people may rejoice in thee. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. And I want to bring the text verse that we're really looking at this morning is verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again, and that thy people may rejoice in thee. I want to preach on this thought this morning. God bless the USA. Let's have a word of prayer before we get started. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful that we're able to come together and worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I'm thankful for everyone that's taken their time to come out this morning to hear from you. Lord, I can't do this upon my own strength. I can't preach your precious word. So I'd ask that you would move, remove me and Lord, you would fill me with your Holy Ghost. Lord, that I would only say what is honoring and pleasing to you. That I would only say what you've laid upon my heart. Lord, we thank you for the country that we live in. We're thankful for the independence that we have for these many years. And so, Lord, I pray as we look at this portion of Scripture this morning that we would open our hearts. Lord, we know if we open our hearts, you'll have something for us. And so, Lord, this morning as after the service here, after the message, that we take what we've found, what we've learned, and take it with us, Lord, and just tell others about you. Thank you again for the opportunity to come and the safety you give us. In Christ's name I do ask and pray. Amen. Thank you. Maybe may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word. I read an article many, uh, a little bit ago, and the headline of this article was God is back in. God is back in. Now, there was a story about a high school in California, and they put together this 200-person choir, and they were going to sing 
God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. And we, most of us have heard that song, and it's a patriotic song. It's a national song. Well, as they were getting prepared with this, the program's directors, the, the principal of the high school, decided that <clears throat> fearing that using the name God uh, might cause a problem or a violation of uh, separation of church and state. And so instead of singing the words, God bless the USA, they changed it to, I love the USA. And what they didn't expect at that point was the reaction of the parents when they found this out. Many parents were upset that they changed the words. Many parents chose to withdraw their student, students from this choir. Many of them sent emails to school officials with their prob protesting what they were doing. And uh, in this, after receiving all this, the, uh, the head of the school there, the principal of the school, decided to reverse its decision. And so the article stated, angry parents got God put back in the patriotic psalm, God bless the USA. School board president said this, about this situation, it was a misguided attempt to be politically correct. And it has been rectified. And first, I, I read this article and I thought, hooray to those parents that stood up to the thinking and the policies uh, of these people with this school, at the, the officials there in California. And I thought this, we need more people in this country that will stand up to, to some of this foolish and misguided things that are going on in this country that we are seeing today. And I tell you, uh, when you think about this, you think about you know, all is done, or not all, but many things are done in the name of political correctness. And so I thought this, if, if anything uh, that we need is to put God back in our schools, God back in our courthouses, God back in our government, and God back in our political and public and national life. Boy, I'll tell you, it'd be a great day when the, uh, if God was put back in the USA. Now, at the outset of this, I'd like to say it doesn't matter what is uh, politically correct, but it does matter, however, what is biblically correct. And you think about this, it doesn't matter. The last thing that really concerns me is what the politicians, the Republicans, Democrats, whoever it is, have to say about things. But it does matter what God has to say about things. And it's, uh, it's first, it should be first and foremost. Now in Psalm 85, as we look at this, we're reminded that, the, uh, that we have a great need in America and when I say great or use the word greatest, I don't take it lightly, but use it intentionally and with a purpose. As a nation, we've had, we have many needs. There's no doubt about that. But there's none greater need than the subject of Psalm 85. Our greatest need is for God to bless the USA once again. And so as we look at this psalm and we notice certain truths communicated by this psalm, 
and we take them and apply them to our need as a nation this morning. But I want to give you just a few things out of this psalm. But then at the end of the message, I'm going to give you a few things. And I like the way God always does it. God may point out a problem. He may step on our toes a little bit. But he always gives us the solution. He always tells us how to get things right. And so this, or this morning, I want to give you just a few things. And then we're going to look at what God gives us. And the greatest need, and I'll go ahead and say this, the greatest need for this country is revival. That's the greatest need that we have. And we'll show you at the end how you and I can pray and have revival, not only in our own hearts, but in this church. Notice, first of all, with me, the appreciation that we should display. The appreciation that we should display. Look in verse 1 of the psalm. The Bible says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Now, the psalmist is speaking of the blessings of the people of that land and what they enjoy. He lifts up both his heart and his voice to express his appreciation for God's favor upon his land. And I tell you, if there's anybody upon the face of the earth that should be grateful, it's we as Americans. As Americans, we are to count our many blessings and name them one by one. We, we have been privileged to be born and live in, to, to live in this nation we call the USA or, or America. And I tell you, many years ago during a, a Welsh revival in 1904 and 1905, there was a hymn that was sung at every single service. Every service in that, that revival began with count your blessings. Count your blessings. And the words of this hymn is probably familiar to us all. Now, I will not sing this hymn. I promise. I'm going to read this hymn. When you look at this hymn, it says count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. And if I were to give you a piece of paper as a Christian, and I, will tell, I would tell you, write down all the blessings that God hath done in your life. It would not be long before you would fill the front of the paper up and then flip it over and fill uh, the paper on the back and then ask for another sheet of paper. We, we, we realize that many things that God does in our life we take for granted. Right. We, 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 we look at the things that God does not only in our lives but those around us and in this church. And we can count those blessings. And many times we have forgot those blessings. One thing I do every single morning when I wake up is I thank the Lord for giving me another breath. And when I get out of that bed, I thank the Lord for allowing me to move. That may be simple to you and it may be simple to I, but I tell you what, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have another breath. 
We, we wouldn't have the ability to get up and move. God gives that to us. And to think of this great revival, realize that in this and what they did, there were over 70,000 saved in the first two months. You know, it says something to realize that you and I need to count our blessings and name them one by one. But many of those blessings we take for granted. And I will tell you this, I'm, I'll make no apologies. I'm a, 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 an American and I still believe that this country can come back. I still believe that we can put God back and there can be a great revival. God can do it. And you think about this as we look and we see about our country, I tell you, I still get a lump in my throat when I hear the Pledge of Allegiance. I still get a tear in my eye when I hear the singing of the Star-Spangled Banner. When our seed, our flag is just waving in the air, boy, I'll tell you, it, it, my heart beats with pride. But then I see these protesters and other countries who are cheering as they burn our flag. That bothers me. It really does, especially in their countries that really in their own existence owe America because America has went and delivered them and got rid of them some of evil tyrant. I can't help but think to myself, if, if it were not for the goodness and the generosity and the sacrifice of America, some of these countries would not exist as a nation. And I, I believe, as one general put it in the army, and uh, in, in what they ask uh, in return for doing that, one general put it like this. He said, we uh, have gone forth from our shores re repeatedly over several hundred years. We put wonderful young men and women at risk and many of them who have lost their lives. And the only thing we've asked for is nothing except enough ground to bury them in. When I see American citizens who abuse and disrespect the flag and uh, the freedom that this country provides them and they take our flag and burn it, it really bothers me. When I hear people talk about different things, there's, uh, and you hear it coming out of uh, the actors out of California and out of L.A. and all these things, we've been called ignorant, we've been called terrorists in, the, in our country. And somebody said this, he said, Preacher, it is their right. It is their freedom of expression. It may be right, but that doesn't make it right. As far as I'm concerned, we need to realize and thank the Lord for the freedom that he's given to us in this country. I, I tell you, I love our country and I'm proud to be an American. And there are no people on the face of the earth who have more reason to be grateful and appreciative than we as Americans. We are a nation that has been richly blessed and a people that enjoy numerous blessings as Americans. Now, I read verse 1, and I tell you, I think we can paraphrase it this way. And I'm not trying to change the scripture or anything, but I think about it like this. Lord, 
You have poured out your amazing blessings upon this land. And as we look back, we can see the many blessings that God has given not only to this country, but to people of this country. Now you notice in verses 1 through 3, you find the words, thou hast, right? And you find them six times. In verse 1, you see, thou hast. Verse 2, thou hast. Thou hast. Thou hast in verse 3. Thou hast in verse 3. And you see two in each verse. Six times you see thou hast. The psalmist here is speaking of how good God had been to his nation and all that God had done for them and all that he had given them. When I think of the United States, I think of a nation that has indeed been blessed by God. And I think of the blessings that we enjoy as a nation. I think of number one, the diverse blessings that we enjoy. And you think about it over and again, we're, we're blessed socially. We're fixing to celebrate, I believe it's the 247 years of independence on Tuesday. We, God, we have been given freedom by our God. I think of a little boy in a nursery school. And the 4th of July weekend was coming up and the teacher there took the opportunity just to uh, teach her class about patriotism and freedom. And she said, we live in a great country. And one of the things that we should be happy about is that in this country, we're free. One little boy came walking up from the back of her class and said her name and said, I'm not free. I'm four. <laughs> Thank God we live in a free country that gives us freedom that we can choose to worship. That gives us the freedom to come together and do what we're doing this morning to worship him in spirit and in truth. Not only are we are blessed socially, we are blessed politically. Now we have the greatest form of government in on the face of the earth. Now, I don't always agree with the politicians, the ideals and the directions that they said, and I don't believe this is any disrespect to Columbus, but once someone has once said, when Christopher Columbus left, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. When he got back, he didn't know where he had been, and he did it on someone else's money. They called him, he was the first politician. I may not always agree with the politicians that we have, but we have the opportunity to express ourselves in this country. We can vote and we can have a voice as an American. Not everyone on the face of the earth has such a privilege as you and I. Not only are we blessed socially and politically, we are blessed materially. B.R. Lakin, one of uh, an evangelist of old who I love to look and read about his life in one of his sermons, he said this. He said, God smiled 
and gold poured forth from the rocky crags of the Golden West. God smiled and wide acres of grain sprang up from the soil of the Middle West. God smiled and, and the hills of the East yielded black gold in ample abundance to warm our hearts and turn the wheels of industry. God smiled in the automobile, the airplane, and a thousand and one industrial miracles took place before everyone's eyes. So the list of blessings that you and I can enjoy as Americans goes on and on. There is a diversity of blessings that we enjoy. Yet, we must never forget the real source of the many blessings we do enjoy. And I think of Americans, we forget that source. For they're not only the diverse blessings we enjoy, but secondly, the divine blessings we enjoy. The psalmist knew from whence the blessings came that were upon his land. He lifts up his voice, he lifts up his hands in gratitude and says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. He recognizes the blessings they enjoyed and had been dispensed from the gracious and generous hand of God. James chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, and with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I like that first phrase, and it's so true. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh or is from above. When you think about some of these groups out here in our our country today that gives them freedom to speak and, and really forget where our blessings come from. We, we, we can think about it comes from other people and other things, but we know that all the blessings that you and I enjoy comes from the Father in heaven. And so in this, one guy said this. Uh, he asked the president of the Argentine Republic, why South America, with all its natural resources and wonders, was so far behind North America in terms of progress in marketing? The president replies, I, I have come to this conclusion. South America was settled by the Spanish who came uh, looking or in search of gold. But North America was settled by the Pilgrim Fathers who went there in search of God. That's the way this country was settled is, is they were in search of God. And even in today's time, you and I need to seek and search for God. And, and we need to search for Him or seek Him like my little three-year-old grandson Searches for peanut M&Ms. We, we stay up in, our, in our, our, our camper up there on our daughter's property in, in Montana. And every morning, my three-year-old grandson, Tackett, would come over at 7.30 in the morning and knock it on the camper door. 
Mimi, Papa, you up? No, tack it, we not up. Mimi, Papa, can I come in? And the moment he gets into that thing, he says, can I have the colors? Meaning the colors of the peanut M&Ms that are sitting on my shelf. And I tell you, I love my grandson, but I love my peanut M&Ms too. And every time he comes in there, he says, can I, can I have some colors? Can I have some colors? And we, of course, give in and give him some colors. But we don't tell our, our daughter, Taggett's mom. She, she's not into the sugar for the kid thing. But so we don't, we don't tell our daughter that we're giving peanut M&Ms to, to Taggett. It's a funny illustration, but you and I should be doing that in our lives, searching and seeking for God every single day. And so you and I realize that this nation was founded on Christian principles. Uh, the majority of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the forefathers were Christians. Samuel Adams, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, said this, we have this day the 4th of July, restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. One of our forefathers, George Washington, said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. You'll not convince me that we were not founded on Christian principles. We were founded on those things. Our Declaration of Independence states this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Our founding fathers believed in God. The Declaration of Independence was not only a declaration of independence from Britain, but it was a declaration of dependence upon God. As we look, the majority of our forefathers who you study history believed in God and viewed his blessings as essential to our, our, our future as a country. The foundation of this country was built upon the belief in God and a national dependence upon God. It was such a foundation that God smiled upon and made us a recipient of God's favor and blessing. Yep, this is the United States, but it's even more. It is above all things a nation that has been richly blessed by God. We as Americans can indeed say, Lord, you have been favorable unto our land. How grateful we ought to be as Americans that there's, that we should show our appreciation as Americans. Secondly, when I look at this psalm, I'm not only reminded of the appreciation we should display, but also, number two, the condemnation we should dread. The condemnation we should dread. Our great nation... Even though it is great, there's a peril that you and I, there's a danger that looms over us. 
the pair I'll speak of is that God would take his blessings off our nation. Now as you look uh, at Psalm 85, you see this tragedy occurring. Notice with me, number one, the sins of the people. Look in verse 2, if you will. The Bible says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. You notice those words, iniquity of thy people, and all their sins. The psalmist here was not only speaking of personal sins, but also of national sins. They as a people had abandoned God. They had left them out of their personal and national life. And I'm afraid, folks, that's where we're at in this country today. There's no question that America has its share of problems. All you have to do is just look out today. You can see that our country is moving further and further away from God. We're in star. I mean, even when I was growing up, as old as I am, I never thought that I would see the things that are going on in today. I couldn't imagine that our country in the USA, who was built on Christian values, who was started forth on dependence upon God, would be at the place that we're in today where we are, are more uh, living in the world than we are in the Bible. And you think about all the things, I mean, just a few things that I read here lately since about 1960, you realize that the total crimes has increased over 400%. And this is from the Department of Justice. Violent crimes has, has increased over 500%. 99% of Americans will be victims of theft at least one time in their life, and 87% will have property stolen three or more times. The illegitimate birth rates have increased more than 400%. The percentage of families headed by a single parent has, in, has tripled. Since 1960, there has been over 3 million abortions. Today, nearly one in three pregnancies end in abortion. Since 1960, total expenditures on elementary and secondary education has increased more than 200%. Yet, the SAT scores have declined 73 points. I mean, the list of problems you can look goes on and on. But you can try to cover those problems, try to fix those problems, but it is not the greatest problem that this country has. The greatest problem, as I said, is God is being pushed further and further away from this country. When a nation sets its approval on things as abortion and same-sex marriages, it is an indication that God and Christian values no longer serve as a guide to our nation. And you see the sins of the people, but you see the consequences of those actions and those sins. And secondly, you, see, you notice here in the verses the sorrows of the people. 
You see the sins of the people and now you see the sorrows. Look in verse 3, if you will. Psalm 85 describes a suffering people. And you look and you ask the question, what is the source of their suffering? You see in verse 3, look at verse 3. Uh, uh, you notice the words, thy wrath. And you notice the words, the fierceness of thine anger. Now you see and you notice these uh, verses in verse 5. You see the psalmist, he said, Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? And you notice here it, it, is in this they abandoned God and God was an angry God. The people were suffering as a result of the wrath of God. And I tell you, the pastor's already quoted this verse, but as we read this verse, Proverbs 14.34, boy, it should make us tremble. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. As a nation that has honored God, it has brought us both divine prosperity and protection. But when this nation pushes God out of its life, we're in danger of losing both. And I tremble as an American in the direction that our country has gone and is going. You think about the surest way to get sued in this country or end up in court is to recognize God or honor God in our public life. If the Bible is true, and it is true, this old ship is on, a road direct, on the wrong direction and it's fixing to have a collision course. America, as, I much, as much as I love to say it and I hate to say it, is ensuring its day of reckoning with a holy God. One preacher said this, if God does not judge America for her sins, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about that statement. And I agree with that. Unless something happens in America, we're destined for judgment. Now the question is we come here that I want to ask and try to answer is whether or not something can happen in this country that will divert God's judgment. Now look back in verse 2 with me. You read here, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Now as you read these verses, we see what is America's hope? What is our hope as a people? What is our hope as a church? Who can save us from God's judgment? So thirdly, I want you to think with me about this. The restoration that you and I should desire. Now, as we look at these verses, this should be the prayer of every Christian American around this country. Look at verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again? 
that thy people may rejoice in thee. Now, I say this, the only hope for America is revival. Washington is not the answer. Republicans and Democrats are not the answer. Only God is the answer. And that answer is revival. I want to challenge you this morning to pray for revival. And I want you to notice with me, first of all, a national revival. There can be a national revival. As an evangelist, I study many revivals. I look back at our country and other countries in the past, and I tell you there can be a national revival. There really can be in this country. Back at the 1800s, in the year 1800, there was a revival that went on in Logan County, Kentucky, at the Red River Church. There were many people, they were having a meeting on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And they were going to have the Lord's table on Sunday. And to the preachers or to the pastors' surprise, on Friday and Saturday, more than 500 people showed up. Many of them driving an hour or more because the country was in desperate needs. The spiritual uh, attitude or atmosphere was not very good in this country. And, and between 1795 and 1799, you would see little spurts of revival uh, pick up across the country. But in the year 1800, revival broke out at this church in Logan County, Kentucky. And you normally don't think of Logan County, Kentucky as a place of revival. But what Pastor read this morning, he says, if my people. And so to have a national uh, revival, his people has to humble themselves and pray and seek his face. That's, you cannot be revived if you never was alive. Revival is for saved people. And if you're not saved this morning, you can be. God died, or Christ died for you in your place on that tree. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And it comes... For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You cannot do anything in your own power to be saved. It's simply by faith. Because Christ died for you. And you, for God so loved the world, you can put your name in the place of the world. Because God sent his son Jesus Christ, and he died for you, and he rose again on that third day. And he ascended back to heaven, and he's the great mediator. I tell you, I'll never get over it that God died for me. But his ministry didn't stop when he ascended to heaven. He is mediating for you and I, sitting on the right hand of the Father. And when we do mess up as Christians, when we do sin, Christ says, 
My blood has covered him. My blood has covered him. So revival, as we see, is, is for the Christian. And in this revival in Kentucky from in the year of 1800s, people were doing what the Bible said. They were getting right with God. They, they were confessing their sins. They were humbling themselves. And they were seeking God. And God sent revival to that place. And then it slowly spread all over this country. See, winning the war against terrorism... Balancing the budget, reducing the deficit is not the greatest need in America. All those, those things are important. The, the revival, a revival is the greatest need. As God's people, may we once again call upon God of, the God of heaven to revive us again. And so let our prayer be in verse number 7. Lord, show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Not only can there be a national revival, there's a personal revival. Because the personal revival will lead into a national revival. Because it starts, it can start in one person's heart. As you read about the great revivals that's happened in the past, it's usually started with one person. In the heart of one person. You know, you think about that. We, we, if we, God can send revival, but his people has to get right with him. And he can, and he will send revival. You think about this. We have all sang the star-spangled band. Hundreds of times probably in our lives. It was composed by Francis Scott Key on September the 14th, 1814. And it was officially adopted at our national anthem in 1931. Most of us are familiar with the first stanza. But there's actually four stanzas. And I look at the fourth stanza and I read this. Blessed with victory and peace... May our heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made our preserved and preserved us a nation. You think about that phrase or those words, our heaven-rescued land. If there's anything we need as Americans, it is a heaven-rescued land. With the psalmist, may our prayer be Wilt thou not revive us again? That should be our prayers as a Christian, but it should be our prayer as a church. Now I'm going to give you four quick prayers. That if you pray these prayers, if you pray these prayers, they will bring revival. We see it in the scriptures. You know, God's not really uh, impressed by how long, how loud, how logical our prayers are. Our prayers must be honorable, honest, humble, and from the heart. You pray these prayers from the heart, God will send revival. Number one, you pray the prayer, search me. 
This is hardest, the hardest of the prayer to pray. Psalm 139, real quick. I want to leave you these four prayers. Psalm 139. And this is the great omni-prayer, or the omni-chapter as we call it. But look down at verse 23. The Bible says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. How many times do you see that word, me? It's not God searched Tim's heart over there. He's doing some things he shouldn't be doing. And I may be, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I may do things, I still sin. But the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. You know, that's the problem as we go across this country and trying to minister in different churches. One of the greatest problems that I'm seeing in different churches, and I'm not saying it's in here, but we take our eyes off Christ and we put it on everybody else. And, and we say, okay, I'm comparing myself to somebody else. And, and, and I, can I tell you this? When you look at somebody else, you can always find fault in them. I can look at Pastor Matthew and say, hey, I find fault in him, but he can do the same thing to me. He can look at me and say, I see what Tim did. But the psalmist said, search me. And you think about in your life, do you really want God searching you? I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I'm not saying you're hiding sins, but think about that. You have to deal with God. You have to get right with God. Because I'm responsible for me. Right? I, I can't get my wife right with God. She has to do that. When she messes up, or my children, or my friends, they have to get right with God. That is a hard, this is a hard prayer to pray. But if you want revival in your heart, you have to pray this. God, search me. And if there's anything in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Secondly, Lord, save me. Lord, search me, save me. And I take that from Matthew chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. But it's remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 and he sent the, the disciples across and he went up into the mountain to pray. And they got into the, uh, the wind and they got into the, the, there was a storm coming up and Jesus in the fourth watch of the night came out walking on water. And you remember the disciples? They thought it was a spirit. And Peter said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water. And, and, and what happened when he got his eyes off Christ? Started to sink, didn't he? And then what happened there? The Lord saved him. And so you and I can pray this prayer as desperation like Peter. 
And that's what we need to do. Lord, save me. Lord, search me. Lord, save me. And then, Lord, show me. Show me. Exodus 33, verses 12 through 18. I tell you what, turn there real quick. I am almost done. One more prayer. Exodus 33. I want to read this to you. And and starting in verse number 12. Exodus 33 and verse number 12. The Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people that hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in thy sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I, thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it, not, is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated. And I, I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight. And I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. We take this lesson from uh, uh, Moses here. And and he's talking to God and he said, Lord, if you're not going to go with me, I don't want to go. You know, many times in our life, we want to figure out God's will for our life. We want to do what we want to do. We should be just like Moses and say, Lord, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. And that's why I say, show me, Lord. Show me where you want me to go. Show me where you want to be in my life. And Lord, I don't want to go if you're not going. I don't want to go that way. I don't want to go to the left. I don't want to go to that. I want to go where you'd have me to be. And then finally, send me. Search me. Save me. Show me. And send me. And I take that from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 8. The Bible says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Send me, Isaiah says. And he got a, a glimpse of the Lord who was high and lifted up. He saw the Lord supreme and he saw himself He said, woe is me. He saw his own sins. And he saw the sins of his people. And you look at that, you see that he says, woe is me. That was the confession of his own sins. And we see the cleansing in verses 6 and 7 there where 
the angel put the coal and he was cleansed. And we see his commitment to serve in verse 8. He says, here am I, send me. And he was commissioned to go by God. He says, go. Now the Lord may not send you to a different state, to a different country or somewhere else. He may say, go on a mission trip somewhere during the summer. He may say, but he does tell us this. He says, go. That may be to the neighbor next door. That may be to somebody at your work. He may not send you to a different country, but he's told you to go. If you're saved, you're called. You're called to go. It may just be across the street. It may not be in a different country. But I promise you, if you pray these prayers with a sincere heart, with an honorable heart, with a humble heart, with an honest heart, if you pray these prayers, not only will it begin revival in your own life, you may be the one that God uses to start revival in this church, revival in this nation, and revival in this world. Are you willing to pray the prayer of revival? Because that is the only answer to this country is revival. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning,